0: Welcome to the Doing Good Business Podcast, designed to bring out the best in you and your organization. I'm Laura Heacock, a leadership coach on a mission to create a culture where business is the true balance of head and heart. I work with leaders and companies on how to leverage my brand of kindness to gain powerful results.
1: And I'm Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business, helping you shift conversations to identify what works and find ways to build on that
0: success with people, planet, and profit in mind. The doing good business podcast is the place to learn about transformational leadership qualities and purpose-driven business practices that are essential to success in today's modern market you can make the world a better place through business and the business case for that starts now hey everybody welcome back to doing good business Somehow it's December. Don't know how that happened, but Kelly and I are so excited to be back in, uh, I almost did it again and said in your radio, but in your device, in your podcast stream. And we're even more excited today to bring to you a guest. Her name is Lisa Fain. And Lisa is the CEO of the Center for Mentoring Excellence. And if you think you know mentoring, you need to listen to Lisa because Lisa is going to talk to you about it in a way that most people are not. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, I'm so excited to be with you. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about who you are in the world.
2: Yeah. So um, as you said, I lead Center for Mentoring Excellence. We are a virtual center. And our focus right now is on helping organizations create more inclusive environments through mentoring. So we work with organizations, large and small, corporate, government, educational, agency, so forth, um, and really help them create mentoring cultures. We help them train mentors and mentees, design effective mentoring programs, all with an aim towards creating better work environments that help people feel more included, better sense of belonging, and really excited to bring their best selves to work.
0: Yes. Yeah, like that. <laughs> <laughs> so we have always believed that, you know, folks who can bring their best selves to work and, and use their personal development to positively impact the professional world are, you know, that is doing good business. That was really why Kelly and I started. Um, and at the end of our second season, we made a commitment to have DEI diversity, equity, and inclusion conversations with every guest this season. Um, it's too important not to everything that's happened in the world, you know, of course this year, but in the decades past. So I love to bring the concept of mentoring and equity and inclusion together. Um, And Lisa, you don't know this about me, but I spent 14 years in talent acquisition and recruiting and hiring. And one of the things that is really old school and, and doesn't fit our doing good business model is you know, hiring the person who fits the mold. And I think that can often apply to mentoring as well. I think mentoring, a lot of times we look for, you know, I want to mentor somebody who looks like me. Maybe they have the same experience. You know, maybe if I have gotten to a high level of leadership um, without a formal education, maybe I want to mentor somebody who kind of has that same experience. But can you share your thoughts on that? Like, is that old school? Is that logic that is, you know, not, really doing good business, how does that impact diversity and equity and how would you recommend folks mentor in a better way?
2: So I think that there's actually, the answer to that question is that it's human, right? We do that because we really, for one of two reasons. Number one is we tend to be tribal people, meaning that we are attracted to people like me, right? Like us, right? I like me. So I like people who I like me, <laughs> right? And I, we feel like that's going to be the most natural. And part of the reason that we do that is comes from fear. It comes from fear, particularly in the mentoring context, that we won't have the right answers if we mentor somebody who's got a different experience. And so the first thing that I tell people is, You don't have to worry as a mentor about having all the right answers. A mentor's job is not to answer the mentee's questions. A mentor's job is to have good questions to ask the mentee. And so when you think about your role as a mentor as not to be the sage on the stage who knows everything, who can impart their wisdom about what their journey was, but instead to be a facilitator of learning or a guide on the side... Then it frees you up to be able to say, not only would it be beneficial for my mentee to have a different perspective, but for me to have a different perspective than my mentee so that I can bring questions and help them grow. And it takes the fear out of having to know the journey and therefore um, helps you resist the temptation of just mentoring people who are like you.
0: I feel like there was a mic drop and we're three minutes in going from sage on the stage to guide on the side. And I've heard sage on the stage, but I love guide on the side. That is so just the imagery. I tend to think visually and, and I think that's really powerful. And, um, I'm just thinking like, can you share an example of how to make that switch? You know, really tactically, if you think, if somebody listening right now is like, wait a minute, what? I don't have to have all the answers. I'm supposed to be the guide on the side. How do you make that switch? Yeah,
2: you know, I like people to think directionally about the um, the direction of a conversation. And, you know, you said you're a visual, you're really visual. So if you think about it, instead of it being sort of um, a waterfall of conversation, right, of the mentor kind of delivering this goodness to the mentor. <laughs> Right. And it being a one-way, it's really instead it's more um uh you know, if I to use the water metaphor, I'm just making this up so work. But we'll passing, the back, passing the cup back and forth, right? Um, obviously pre and post-COVID. <laughs> you, yeah. you wanna sanitize the cup again COVID, but but I think about it more in terms of um inquiry using the power of inquiry. So it's important as a mentor to share your experience and to share your wisdom, but not in a way that's prescriptive, not in a way that says, Lara, here's how I did it. Here's how you should do it. But in a way that says, here's what I did it. Here's what I learned from it. How might it be different for you? Mm. How is this land for you? What might be the obstacles for you? What are we missing here? And really using the power of inquiry to help guide the discovery, the discovery by the mentee, but in a way where the mentor is really facilitating that discovery.
1: I absolutely love that. This is Kelly. And so Lisa, am I hearing uh, some shades of appreciative inquiry in in your work then? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think a lot about
2: appreciative inquiry, right? Because, you know... Ultimately, I believe that mentoring is a leadership competency. Mentoring is something that all, it is a competency that all leaders should have. And really good leaders, as I'm sure you know, have this ability to to demonstrate appreciative inquiry, to really um, acknowledge what the reality is, to inquire about possibility, but Mm -hmm. also to test their own assumptions so that they really can be appreciative of what's in the present and what the possibility might be.
1: I'll take this question, which may sound generative in nature, I hope, because it's the way I intended it. But in terms of our audience and people who are listening and thinking about mentorship then as a leadership ability, capacity, and also a strategy for their businesses, something that they can put into practice, and, and reflecting on the extensive depth and breadth of your work what do you feel really stands out for you as a high point, right? For clients who have successfully bridged these cultural differences through mentoring. Like, is there a really great example you could share with our audience that would help them to understand literally what's possible when they go this route?
2: Yeah. So um, there is, I mean, I, w- I want to do a, a little bit of a caveat before I answer that sure. question. Which is, when we talk about successfully bridging differences, I actually think it's a journey. I'm not sure that it's a destination. In fact, I think it's probably not a destination. And I think even organizations that are starting to do this successfully aren't fully there. In fact, none of us are fully there, right? So um, the example that I offer is one really that's just that. It's just a sliver of, what I think, what's possible. But we have a client who um, we've worked with for a long time. And um, they have a mentor who is a senior uh, senior straight white male. He's been with the organization for 30 years, and he's um, on the senior leadership team. And he started in the organization, um, you know, as I said, 30 some odd years before, 30 some Mm -hmm. some odd years ago. His mentee is in manufacturing, which is where this this mentor started uh, many, many moons ago. And they, you know, the men, the mentee um, was a first is a first generation Mexican American who, you know, is uh, worked his way up to sort of line leadership in the in the manufacturing organization. And um, both mentor and mentee were sort of like, "Wow, there's a big level differential between the two of us. There's a lot of years of experience here. We don't have a lot of cultural similarities. How are we ever going to relate to one another?" Right. And um, what we were able to work with them to do, and by the way, each of them came with their own skills, abilities, and willingness to really open up and learn, which helped enormously. I mean, I think that that's really a prerequisite to bridging differences, it's just the willingness. Uh, to do so and the ability to learn um, Mm -hmm. and be humble about that. But, um, you know, they came with this, with this humility, this interest and this willingness to learn. And we were able to work with them to, um, to ask all sorts of questions about where the other's coming from, what are the differences in perspectives. Um, And for the mentee, who was quite scared about how am I going to relate to somebody so senior, you know, to really recognize by talking about their own identities, by talking about what their hopes and their fears for the mentoring relationship were, by talking about what their views of um, work-life Uh, integration or work-life balance are and their views of authority are and all of these topics, we're really able to learn a ton about each other. And one of the things that I love about this particular example is that the, through, the, through this mentoring, not only was the mentee able to grow to work through some of um, his own um, concerns and issues and um, really improve his own work environment, but the mentor who many decades ago had helped set some of the rules and processes and regulations that govern that work environment was able to see through his mentee's eyes that those no longer worked.
0: Wow. That they're
2: that they were not um, effective in the work environment anymore, and to be able to sort of reassess. All right, how might we look at it differently? How are um, people who are just coming into our organization viewing these processes that we set up decades ago? And how can we tweak them not just to benefit um, uh, the business, but to benefit the people in the business? Right and. And so the visibility and the learning was incredible to see. So that's just one example. I love
1: that. And I know you're speaking our language, you know, uh, Laura and I think about that all the time. Right? What does it look like in the modern market? That's, you know, part of why this show exists. We're trying to help people understand. And that's not a judgment on what came before. It's an observation, right? What serves us now? What is the best way to bring people together? And again, not just for the company's benefit. So I absolutely adore this story. I think it's really a great example. Thank you for sharing it, Lisa. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, of course. So I think in that example, Lisa, it really takes mentoring from, you know, again, the sage on the stage to being a two-way street. I mean, we think about, you know, mentoring is the value is largely to the mentees. And I think if anyone who's ever served as a mentor has done it, you know, very well that there is value to both parties, like the mentor gets just as much out of it as the mentee. But I think this new paradigm of mentoring really, really illustrates that more and maybe even acknowledges that off the bat. Is that accurate?
2: Yeah, 100%. I mean, good mentoring is reciprocal mentoring. Right. Mm. There's a reciprocity where the mentor gives and gets as much as the men- as the mentee gives and gets. There really is a give and a get. There's a collaboration, there's a co-creation of a relationship. I like to say that in a one-on-one mentoring relationship, there's really three parties. There's the mentor, there's the mentee, and then there's this relationship that the mentor and the mentee create together. Sure. You know, one yeah. of one of the things that I love about your question, Laura, is, you know. Obviously, you know there's a there's a heart piece to mentoring, right? Some people mentor because it feels good. It feels good to give back, but it really is important to remember that what the mentor gets is more than just that. You know, that's a big piece of it. But it's mm-hmm. also great for their. You know, there's there's all sorts of studies. Um, there's one that just recently came out that shows that that people who mentor um, improve their leadership skills in their uh, you know self efficacy. Uh, that's just one one measure of it, but their leadership wow. skills themselves improve by mentoring. We have seen mentors who gain perspective, more perspective in their organizations, who gain much more cultural competency, which is that skill of making sense of difference. Who lead? Who say they've let they can now lead their teams better because they've developed the skill of appreciative inquiry. You know, because they have learned how to focus on the relationship and not just the issue and not solve problems for uh, their the people on their team or their mentees. So yeah. there really is a hard, um, uh, not a hard, I was going to say hard skill, but there really is a tangible benefit for mentors beyond just the sense of satisfaction. And it's really important for organizations to acknowledge that because in order to create a mentoring culture, it requires an investment of resources. And if you're going to sustain an investment of resources, you have to have a head benefit and a heart benefit.
1: Mm -hmm. So true.
0: Amen. (laughs) Yep.
1: Like what you're hearing on the Doing Good Business podcast? Then you'll love working with Laura or Kelly. Visit doinggoodbusiness.com forward slash the host to learn about them and how their services can help you do good business. Well, at least again, this is Kelly, and I. We always point that out because we're Laura and I are often told that we sound alike. So, um, I think that for us too, we often wonder what is it. And you touched on this a little bit already, right? People have to want to do this, so there's a mindset component to that. Are there certain organizational strengths that make some organizations either more receptive to this as a whole, or? Uh, able to implement and learn all of these really poignant, right, um, lessons to be learned, right, and, and be exposed and have this awareness around the great potential of this type of mentorship. Um, are there certain organizations in which it works better than others?
2: You know, I think organizations that embrow- embrace this idea of a growth mindset, mm-hmm. that are organizations that focus on learning. And um, they create safe spaces to make errors. You know, I I love. You know, if if I if I could go back to school and study something, I would love to study the link between innovation and mentoring, or mentoring and innovation. Because though I haven't seen the data, my anecdotally I've seen that organizations that encourage innovation and they encourage risk taking. Mm-hmm. Um, are much more successful in using mentoring as a laboratory for growth.
1: Right. Okay. So I, I love that. I think that's really, yeah, yeah super provocative. Um, yeah. And innovation is one of my hot buttons, always. Um, true innovation, you know, the things that are creating real value for mm-hmm. others and, and the planet. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, so needed. today.
2: Yeah. The other piece is, You know, organizations that think about uh, the mobility, the career mobility of their people in a way that's not necessarily um, linear in a vertical way, but it could be a lattice as opposed to a ladder. It could be, um, you know growth and stretch opportunities, um, it's it's organizations that think in possibility, which is really what a growth mindset is about. And um, when organizations embrace that, they're much more likely to have successful, cross-generational, cross-difference mentoring relationships because they're really encouraging um, that sense of a laboratory.
0: Lisa, I'm wondering if there are any things that a mentor and a mentee should have in common. Like, is it valuable to have totally different experiences and backgrounds and, you know, maybe even career components? What do you think? What's a good starting point?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we all have things in common and we have differences. And, you know, the danger is to focus only on the commonalities. There's no problem. There's there's no danger in having commonalities, and there's no danger in exploring those commonalities. The danger is in focusing solely on the commonalities versus the differences. And so, um, you know, I don't know that I have a prescription for what they should have in common versus the ways they can be different. But the problem lies in the assumption of commonality, or the assumption of difference, as opposed to the exploration of commonality and the exploration of difference. And so what I mean by that is... You know, we all make assumptions about one another. We make assumptions that we, um, you know, see that our motivation for working is the same, that our um, aspirations for our career are the same. We especially do that when people look like us. But, um, you know, we also do we also assume this universality. Um, of values and motivation and aspirations and all of these things. And so the key is to, to to, first of all, to have the self-awareness to identify that in yourself, but also to have the curiosity to explore that in your mentoring partner and to have discussions about it and to set the expectation early that you're going to explore um, the differences between you and connect over commonalities. If you find yourself with your mentoring partner, oh my gosh, you know you like this, me too. You did this, me too. In the in the me too piece with a lowercase m and a lowercase t, right? You want to make sure that you um, are also looking for those differences, so that your differences, so you're not sending the message that what you value are the ways that you're the same. I think that's powerful.
0: Are there ways that you would recommend folks get started? Like, do you have a, like a quick entry point for folks that want to mentor differently? Well, the first is not, uh, I
2: do have an entry point and I can't say that it's quick. It's this idea, (laughs) right? Which is, um, you know, because identity is, is a, uh, ultimately what we're talking about is identity, right? We're talking about the visible parts of our identity and the invisible parts of our identity and how they impact the way we show up. And it's not a quick fix. And that's why we haven't done it as a society. That's why we haven't bridged differences that quickly. But the, the entry point is self-awareness. You know, I often do an exercise in my workshops where I ask um, the participants to think of identity like an iceberg and that there are things, you know, like an, like an iceberg, you know, there's a, you know, what, one-tenth above the waterline that we see and right. nine-tenths that we don't. And eat, and if you think of your, of the elements of your identity, not just the things you can see, which, you know, might be how you, you know, your gender expression, your height, the color of your skin, um, you know, general age, that kind of thing. But all of the other things, right, your values, your motivation, your religion, your political affiliation. I mean, there's a million things below the waterline. You have to recognize what's on your own iceberg, so, that you can really start to notice differences. People are like, wait a minute, notice differences. Aren't differences divisive? And that's what I'm trying to get people to move from thinking that we can connect because of our differences, but we can only create that connection if we notice those differences and we're curious about those differences. And instead of looking at them as something that's divisive or that's creating walls between us, we can look at them as, you know, magnets, right? Where right. you, you know, can can connect um, because of them. And to be genuinely
1: curious about them, right? And and absolutely. To, you know, kind of like that little wide-eyed wonder, the six-year-old on the playground and meets the other six-year-old, right, for the first time is like, hey, what's your name? Where are you from? You know, like all of those questions that you had just asked because you're just genuinely interested in right. in those in this the same, the commonalities and the differences.
2: Yeah. But here's the here's the um important uh, tag on to that, which is once you start to become curious of those differences, you have to make sure that when in, before you ask about them, that you have established an environment of trust and safety in your relationship. Because otherwise, you know, <laughs> It's, you know, how, how strange would it be to walk in and say, let me tell you about how I'm motivated and, you know, what drives me. <laughs> like, wait a minute, right. what's your name again? Um, so you really is taking the time to establish trust and safety, to set the expectation that these are the kinds of conversations that are not just normal, but are healthy in learning relationships like mentoring, um, and so that you invite those conversations in by creating that safe space.
1: So if we had someone listening right now who's thinking, wow, how do we do that? How do we create that safe space? We're in an organization where that's not necessarily intuitive to us, but we want it. We're we're going that way. What are some first steps that they could take, some practical steps even, you know, around creating that? Maybe it's something that just is going to happen in a department first, you know, a a kind of a bottom-up approach to mentoring that doesn't necessarily start at the top.
2: Yeah, I mean, I one of the things that I love about mentoring is that, um, you know, of course you want to have a mentoring culture, which is kind of a top down, but mm-hmm. it, the, that all starts at the bottom up with relationship by relationship. So what I would say is the way to get started is to um, have a conversation in your relationships about the desire to go deeper and to embrace difference and to invite difference about what are we doing that's that's um, working in that respect now, and what can we be doing better? And mm-hmm. then you know you take baby steps in because it has to be you know you, you can't create psychological safety surely out of will. You have to do it out yeah. of it has to you know it actually has to be there um, instead of just saying we want it to be there. But the first step is to express a mutual desire to have it happen and to acknowledge. Um, that it's there or it's not there. I mean, you know, it's there's three, uh, well, there's many inclusive behaviors, but there's three behaviors that I think are particularly important for leaders, um, mentors and mentees to be thinking about when they're trying to create safe spaces in their relationships. One is this idea of my normal may not be your normal.
0: Mm-hmm. What's
2: normal for normal. me might not be normal for you. So let's test that out. That's thing one. Thing two is like so simple and practical and I, you know, it's called kind of name the dynamics. So I don't know if the two of you have ever been in this situation, but you know, you, have you been in a meeting or had a conversation where there's like something hanging in the air? and you don't know what it is, or somebody's reacting a certain way, and you're not exactly quite sure what that's all about. And you right. let it go, and then you leave the room, and you make all sorts of assumptions about it, or you stew over what happened, or somebody else is stewing over what happened. Well, the behavior is a naming a dynamic is to do the simple like, mm, I'm noticing something hanging in the air. What's that all about? Or I'm noticing this look on your face that that might not sit right. Can you tell me about that? And calling that out in the moment so you can really start to create the safe space without getting defensive. So that's kind of behavior number two. And the the inclusive behavior number three is this idea of constantly staying in relationship with one another. So, you know, I know that sounds kind of fluffy from a in a, in a corporate or a business setting, but it's so important is this idea of continuing the conversation and just, you know, uh, not using differences as a reason to uh, to stop the conversation, or you know, to discontinue the relationship. Not using awkwardness as an excuse to move away from one another, but rather using it as a reason to dive deeper and to create deeper relationships. And with those sort of three behaviors in mind, my normal is not your normal. Name a dynamic and staying in relationship, you can actually go a long way in starting to create safety. In those mentoring relationships.
0: Amazing. Lisa, I'm going to guess that, uh, are you a Brene Brown fan? I am a Brene Brown fan. Good guess. <laughs> I'm thinking guess. about Zara lead and the story that I'm telling myself right now is that you made a face at me when I made that suggestion and you think I'm stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> Amazing. So um, it's almost a new year. I'm pretty glad about that. A little hesitant because, you know, 2020 has been a doozy, but Lisa, what are you excited about? What should we be on the lookout for, for the center for mentoring excellence? You know, what do you want to share and and leave us with as something for folks to look out for in the next year?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, I'm super excited that, um, you know, I had a book that came out in 2020 called Bridging Differences for Better Mentoring. Um, You know, it wasn't quite the year to launch, uh, (laughs) Well, we a will link to it in yeah. the show notes. <laughs> but but um, I'm really excited to be kind of taking that back out into the world again in 2021. Um, and you know, the idea really is to help people cultivate that skill. In terms of Center for Mentoring Excellence, we um, have, like many organizations, done a lot of pivoting. We used to spend our time on the road um, with live trainings um, and live speaking engagements, and we've been uh, spending a lot of time in the last three to six months helping organizations understand that virtual mentoring can be really, really effective. And so, um, you know, we're going to be taking that even further in 2021, working with organizations to help them set up virtual mentoring, uh, programs to help them help their people connect despite the distance, um, and really using mentoring as a way to, um, you know, uh, create connection and engagement and enthusiasm in a time when people are remote. Mm.
0: Well, thank you for connecting with us and and with our audience today. And thank you for your time and for being here. And we are so excited to share your message with the world and to help people mentor better. Everybody's doing it. Let's do it better. Absolutely. So excited to be with you both. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Doing Good Business. We hope you'll tune in regularly, leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and most importantly, tell a friend or a few. It's how we can build the critical mass to make the world a better place through business. The Doing Good Business podcast is brought to you by Laura Heacock of Laura Heacock Consulting and Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business. Learn how you can work with us at doinggoodbusiness.com slash the hosts. Let us know what you like about the podcast and what else you'd like to hear about through our online form on the contact page of doinggoodbusiness.com. We'll see you next time.